The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is powered by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop. Join the Quarterly Fly Club today, your source for all things fly fishing. And wait for it films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, check out Wait For It Films on YouTube or at www.thewaitcreativeco.com. And Broken Tippet Fly Company. Blog and fishing apparel and accessories. Check them out online at brokentippet.com. You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Yeah. So the lakes that we fish, like we get a lot of traveling sedge, and yeah, and it, it's just when they start popping, the fish start cruising the shoals, and they, I don't know if they just do laps around the lake or exactly what they do, but you can see them coming. You know, you'll you'll see a rise. 100 yards down the shoal from you and then it'll be 75 50 and so so what i'll do is i'll i'll look for a caddis on the water in front of me like when it's really on Mm -hmm. i'll throw my chernobyl or whatever i have on usually it's bigger than what's actually on the water (laughs) um and and i'll I'll just throw it right beside the real thing and and you just know it's coming like i always tell people when we're when when things are on and it's good I, I kind of have a rule of thumb where if you see a ring, like if you missed him, if he was coming or if they just happened to be kind of feeding in a circle in your area, if you see a ring, you have about five seconds to get within two feet of it and then strip it a couple times and wait. And more often than not, you're going to get rewarded. Hmm. And, and it's so cool when it, when it comes together, like, yeah, yeah, it, it's just, I don't, I was sitting out there last year with my wife after Brendan had left. I, I took her out fishing and we're on the lake where we filmed the second episode. And I was doing a video for the lodges Instagram where I was releasing a fish. And as I was panning up, my wife had a fish on, you know, that was midair in the background. It's like, oh, wow. I don't think there's anywhere better in the world to dry fly fish on a lake then rate like those few weeks we get like we get about three weeks of that and it's yeah it's probably my favorite time of year like in all that we do which is saying a lot you know it's probably my favorite fishing because those fish hit so hard and and you'll be in your bat like the first fish brendan catches on that second episode you know yeah i I told him and and (laughs) i try to explain to people like this is what's going to happen but you just don't understand it until you experience like you're in your backing in five seconds and you don't even know what happened. Yeah. You just have to laugh and it, it's crazy. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the Fly Crate. The Fly Crate is an online fly shop where you can save more on flies and gear. Shop between hundreds of unique flies and join the quarterly fly club for hand-picked fly assortments for each season. Exclusively for our podcast listeners, you can save an additional 10% on the Fly Crate by using the code FLYFISH97. Go to theflycrate.com and use the code FLYFISH97 at checkout to save 10%. 
Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you chose to join us, and we're going to do what we always do, search for passionate people on the water in the fly fishing space, and we've got a, a true passionate guide on the line tonight. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. I want to thank the top few cities for listening this week. Number one slot was Boise, Idaho followed by Surrey, B.C. Uh, next was Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, Columbus, Ohio. Thanks for all the downloads, folks. Uh, Spruce Grove, Alberta. Penticton, B.C. Fairview Heights, Illinois. Seattle, Washington. And Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, we are going to head, uh, well, north of where I'm at. Um, I would say kind of the, to the northern interior, if that makes sense, of British Columbia, Canada. But actually, he's joining us from Rocky Mountain House. We've got Curtis Royer on the line. Curtis is a guide with Northern Lights Lodge in Likely, B.C. Curtis, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. It's awesome to be here. So I always like to start at the beginning of this fly fishing passion. We'll get to the lodge. We'll get to the water. We'll get to the patterns. We'll talk uh, all things fly fishing with you. But I, I want to know how it started for you. How when, Where did you first pick up fly fishing? So I was... I was uh, fishing with my dad on a lake kind of just south of Medicine Hat that a lot of people are probably familiar with. It's called Bullshead Reservoir. Mm-hmm. And about Trophy Rainbow Trout Lake, like 20 minutes away from my house. And, and dad had asked me, I don't know, probably a year out of high school, if I wanted to go fishing with him. And uh, so I kind of felt obligated because, you know, you got to spend time with your dad and it's a special thing. So I, I went out fishing kind of more so for my dad, for myself. And we got out there and, and we were just spin fishing and caught some real nice rainbows. And, and I, I kind of rediscovered that cause I, I fished with them as a kid a lot and, you know, I, I always kind of enjoyed it, but it wasn't, wasn't a passion, mm-hmm. but like I caught one of those rainbows that, you know, in that 20 inch range and, I was hooked on fishing and then I kept, I started going out there on my own all the time and I, I'd fish and I'd I'd always be seeing these fly fishermen out there in their belly boats and with their fancy rods and, and they were always catching more fish than I was. So (laughs) one day I was watching this guy fish and he, he wasn't fly fishing, but he, he was using a jig and like every cast this guy had a fish so I, I finally went over and i was like what are you doing and, and he <laughs> handed me this jig that was hand tied like a little lead head jig hook and and he gave me two of them and i bet yeah i caught like 80 fish on those two things before i finally lost them <laughs> and when i lost them i was so devastated i started to go to these shops and look for these jigs and then Somehow from that, I, I was like, I got to get a fly rod. Like, because hmm. I was always seeing these guys with these fly rods and they were always doing what this guy had done. And so I bought a fly rod. I went out and I, I was in college at the time, um, becoming a paramedic. And and I, I'd go out to like the field behind my house I was renting in college and I'd cast this TFO fly rod that I got. And learning how to do it in the snow and then as soon as the ice was off at bull's head i was out there and probably my first day i don't even know what i was doing i don't even know even now i don't know what that fly was that i had on but it was like a 
bead head with a peacock body and a red tail hmm. and I would throw it out on the ice and then I would let it drop off the edge of the ice and it was just getting slammed hmm. and I, I probably caught four or five trophy rainbows on this little TFO four weight I had picked up and there was no going back. That's awesome. That's, that's a pretty <laughs> familiar story. And do you know what I think a lot of people don't realize? So if, if you're just, if you're new to fly fishing, you're just getting into it. At, at first it seems overwhelming, right? Cause there's so much to know, but it's not as hard as it may look to a, to a beginner. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, all I had done is I had gone on YouTube yeah, and, and just watched videos about fly casting. And then like, I had figured it all out pretty well on my own. And then, and then it just kind of, you just kind of learn one more thing, one more thing. And every time you go out, it's like mm. someone will show you, someone else at the lake will show you something or give you a fly or you'll just observe and learn and it you know i don't think you ever as a fly fisherman know every you you don't you know like yeah. i fish with old timers all the time that they learn from me as, and i learn from them and you know i don't think there's a fly fisherman out there that can't teach another fly fisherman something yeah amen to that so we're going to get into your guiding and uh, the good folks you're working with at Northern Lights Lodge in, in Likely, B.C. I, I want to know your influences first. Like, I, I suspect you've got uh, kind of a wide array of people that have influenced your learning curve when it comes to fly fishing. You mentioned YouTube as a, you know, a, a source. But where else would you look to to say, okay, these people or this person really helped me along the way? You know, I, I used community a lot, so so mainly online. When I when I finished college, I moved to Calgary because I'd heard so many things about the Bow River, and I I, I went on a forum, which at the time it was a, a fly fishing forum, and and I would just kind of put myself out there or or look for other people who were putting themselves out there to like find people to fish with and so i would just fish with random people and and through doing that kind of because I, I was working as a paramedic uh, we we have a lot of time like we'll work you know four days or two weeks or whatever and we'll have that same amount of time off mm-hmm. so so on my time off i would just link up with whoever i could that was as interested in fly fishing as i was and most of the time they were more experienced than i was and we'd go float the bow or we'd go walk and wade. And, and I just, I don't know, like just kind of a vast array of like some guys that were my age and some guys that were old enough to be my grandpa, you know, we'd get out on the water and they, I'd learn a ton of stuff and hmm. just try to sponge it all in. And, and then, yeah, like on YouTube, like I'd watch Phil Rowley and I'd watch, you know, sport fishing on the fly, you know, everything that would pop up on there that you just kind of, Dave Jensen was a big influence, like watching his videos on, on brown trout streams and, um, just fly fishing in general. Like it just kind of would, I don't know, it just progressed mainly through, through social media and, and, and YouTube. Right. Right. Let's talk about the lodge. So I I know because um, you sent me some links and man, uh, some of the fishing, some of the waters you guys are hitting are just beautiful. And 
I think um, for those that are in large centers, you know, where there's, you know, like you're talking about the bow, some of these waters, you know, there's a lot of people on them. But um, if you're truly looking for space, this is why I love talking still water. Why don't you tell us about how you came to work with Skeed and and the guys at uh, Northern Lights Lodge? How did that happen? So I, I spent about 10 years working as a paramedic and most of my time was when I wasn't working, I I would be on the water fly fishing and a lot around Calgary and the Bow River. And, and for me, it was just always for fun. And, you know, I never guided or anything. I just kind of stayed on those forms. I'd fish with people and made a bunch of friends. And, and eventually like my wife and I just kind of were talking about it. And, and I was like, you know, I'd, I'd like to do this as a career but I, I don't see a way to do it unless, you know, we we move to a place where we can do it, you know, like mm-hmm. go all in. Yeah. So so we started applying to these fishing lodges and the first year I went and I tried my hand in, in northern Saskatchewan at a lodge that will remain unnamed and fishing with gear guys because I thought, you know what, if I'm fishing every day, no matter how I'm doing it, it'll be good. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I was a fly fishing only guy very quickly. Like hmm. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, but there's just not, it, it was work to go out and yeah. troll around on these lakes. And, you know, the fishing was really cool, but, but it was, it doesn't compare to me to fly fishing. So, so the next season I, I was like, okay, we got to find a fly fishing lodge. So I started talking to a lodge in the States that had a really long season and really, really wanted to go there and couldn't get a visa. I guess fly fishing guide is not in the NAFTA agreement. Hmm. So, so while this was all up in the air, I get an email from Speed and I had sent him a resume and he had replied and he's like, oh, you know, we could probably use a guy, but, you know, we haven't hired anyone in a long time and so we started chatting and got on the phone and, and he offered us a position, you know? So, so because it wasn't going to come together with a visa to go to the States, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go fish with grizzly bears and <laughs> it'll be pretty cool. I had never really heard about Northern Lights because I don't know. I, I just hadn't they're really kind of off the map. Mm-hmm. So, and, and tucked away there in the interior to the extent that yeah just a lot of people even as immersed as i was in fly fishing never heard of it so so we end up going out there in the spring and you know no idea what to expect um and we get out there and and skied and sharon the owners of the lodge they uh they bought the lodge 25 years ago or a little more than in the late 90s and and it kind of turned into this fly fishing only destination that has operated primarily on word of mouth since they bought it um, up until, you know, when they filmed those fly fusion episodes in, I think it was 2016 mm-hmm. as a part. And, and then, you know, they do the odd show or whatever, but, but for them, it was a retirement business that kind of, it, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's just a real place as far as fishing goes. They, yeah. well, they, they, your guy, like, 
I want to dig into the people that you work with on a day-to-day basis because I'm always, one thing I really spoke to me when I looked into the lodge, Northern Lights Lodge, and I looked into the staff, I could tell you guys are like a family. I could tell you got each other's backs. I could tell you guys are all, you know, pulling on the same oar. Or, well, maybe not the same oar. You know what I'm trying to get at, but working in unison. But 1,000%. Yeah, and and. Well, one thing I'd like to ask you about is, okay, working with Skeed and his wife, Sharon, um, you've got Tate Patton, you've got Rob Gordon. Um, Gordon Elliott is a name that's popped up on my radar quite a few times. And I think Jim McLennan yep. had uh, named him, the, in his opinion, the most interesting man alive. <laughs> so I, I got to dig into that. What's it like? What's it like working with Gordon? So... So yeah, this is when I went there, I had no idea what I was in for. And so I get there and, and one of my, so Gordy is like, he started outfitting in the caribou as a hunting outfitter, kind of just fell onto him. And when he was 16, he hitchhiked up there and, and got a job with a rancher who met him on the side of the road as he was walking by and offered him a job on the ranch and then it just so happened that he had a hunting territory and kept Gordy on as a as an outfitter hmm. and and then as the years progressed Gordy ended up taking over this this guy's territory and so so that literally he was 16 last year I think he was 76 still outfitting well still guiding and so that's 60 years that this guy has gone from, you know, literally leaving his life in the lower mainland because he just loved the caribou so much hmm. to becoming an outfitter, kind of just coming across. I mean, he, he loved the caribou for the hunting and the fishing. And so, I mean, you sit down at dinner with this guy and you never know what kind of story you're going to hear because <laughs> it's it's just absolute insanity some of the stuff he's done and adventures he's had you know when when jim says he's the most interesting man in the world honestly from an outdoorsman perspective i i don't doubt it (laughs) i think he's been attacked by bears three times um he's yeah there's really nothing he hasn't done as far as hunting and fishing goes what's in, it like in the caribou. what's it like for you to learn from somebody like that well so yeah i i came from you know the bow river which is a very technical river where you you, you mostly fish nymphs and streamers mm-hmm. and and so i get up to northern lights and i go out with gordy and you know the vast majority of the flies especially his dry fly collection are, are variations of Tom Thumbs. Hmm. Which, when you are like, you know, you're coming from, you know, cutthroat country where you're fishing Chernobyls and mayflies and yeah. stoneflies, and you have, you know, I have 10 fly boxes full of every foam variation and deer hair variation of anything. And, and Gordy will pull out a red Tom thumb and, and that's what he's used yeah. with great success for a very, very long time. And, and it, it kind of like, 
I've learned that, you know, we, we, we overcomplicate fly fishing so much. <laughs> there, there, <laughs> there is no doubt. <laughs> that's, and, that's what and, this show is based on, by the way. <laughs> Overthink the hell out of it. Absolutely. So, so going to Northern Lights, I, I, I think that was the biggest thing for me was like coming from a river that was, you know, fairly pressured where I, I don't know if anyone's ever caught a fish on a Tom Thumb on the boat, probably. Oh, guaranteed. But it certainly is not a fly that you're going to hear someone talking about on a forum. Like, oh, you got to have a Tom Thumb. You, you know, but, I think that's a generational thing. And so um, that, that's the first fly I ever fished. It was, and um, <laughs> seriously, not, not a word of a lie. And I tie them in, in green and olive and red. You name a color, brown. <laughs> the thing I like about that pattern, and I, it looks like an emerging caddis. When you look at it at first, you go, what is that? It's kind of like a humpy. But it, as those caddis, they're, they're super vulnerable as they're popping out of their shucks. And I think that's just my theory, is that it works as an emerging caddis for the most part, depending on the size. I, I, I think it works as a million things that <laughs> yeah. I will never understand. <laughs> There was a day we were out on a lake, and so so I had a father son from Calgary that came out, and we're, he he'll laugh if he hears me tell this story. So so I had been out fishing a lake, and I, I had these red; they were one hundred percent red tom thumbs mm-hmm. in my box, and so I'd be out guiding, and and when I would get on the water. You know, I'll have a line in, but when we start, I'll put, you know, the flies that I really suspect are going to work well onto my guest's rods. And then I'll put something on, full disclaimer, that, that I don't expect to catch a fish on because I do not want to catch the first fish of the day. Hmm. So, you know, I want to see how things kind of start. And then if it's slow, I'll start running through the gauntlet of my flies trying to figure out, okay, what what's going to work today? So I put this red Tom Thumb on. Because in my mind, it's just the dumbest fly I've ever seen. <laughs> and and I, I'm, I'm rowing out to these guys. And for whatever reason, just trolling this thing out. They're not even really fishing. I'm just trying to get out to where they are. Because they're out on the water. And I just want to see you know how things are going. And point them in the direction I think they should go. And boom, fish hits this red tom thumb as I'm rowing out there. So I like oh whatever that's a fluke take it off throw the fly back in the water and i start keep working my way out to them boom another fish so i was like this is really weird get out to the the father of this father and son trip and and i give him this red tom thumb i said i don't know why on earth they they're they're all over this but i never catch fish in that spot in the lake i just had two so i give it to him by the end of the day I would bet you he had 60 fish to the net. A, a ridiculous amount of fish. That's, all on this red tom thumb. That's awesome. And, and and he just went with it. He was so happy. And his son, when I went to give him one, he did the same thing I did. He looks at it. He's like, that's red garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we just kept referring to it as a joke for quite a while. Even now, like I'll still message him when he's making a post on Instagram or something. But, oh, you should try red garbage. well they work better when they're falling apart there is no doubt oh like like this thing by the end of the day like i i he he went through my whole supply and now i can't find like i I could tie them but 
<laughs> he went through my whole supply. Like it went from having two dozen of these things. I didn't know what on earth I was going to do with to now I don't have enough. That's awesome. I love it. I love stories like that. It's, uh, it's always the thing that you kind of, like you say, we overthink stuff and it's like, it may not look like any one thing, but, um, let's face it. Those most effective fly patterns are flies that can imitate several things. Right. So um, it makes sense. Makes sense for sure. Absolutely. I want to take some time, Curtis, to get to know your day to day. So, you know, let's, let's, let's go to Rocky mountain house, for example, where you're at right now. Um, let's pretend it's a little bit warmer and you're heading to your favorite stretch to do a little fly fishing. What's playing in the stereo on the truck? Um, I listen to a little bit of everything. I, probably my my favorite band right now and for a long time has been thrice okay uh, which is a i don't know i grew up kind of a little bit of a punk <laughs> so so i kind of regress back to that quite often but at the same time you know i i used to play music with with friends and bands and whatever and i've learned to kind of appreciate everything so <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'll go from country to, to punk to who knows what wow. it just, full range. but yeah, thrice is probably my go-to. Like if I'm trying to get pumped up, what's one go-to fly pattern now, are we talking red garbage again here? Or if you had, <laughs> if you had to pick one fly on, on your favorite stretch of still, say you're guiding somebody in and around, uh, your day job now let's take it to the still what would you be reaching for you know i i'm like a sucker for chernobyl ants mm. i i love fishing the chernobyls i right on. i don't know they're just easy to see and when they get smacked they get smacked really really hard yeah. and it always blows my mind that a trout will eat that in the first place any specific color like are we talking black are we talking with the with the pink back on it what what so I really like kind of a golden yellow. Okay. Like a like a sparkly golden yellow to hmm. like almost a brown and then a tan tan foam body. I don't know why. Okay. It just seems to be also like well that's that's on a lake. Yeah. If I'm on a river, it's gotta be purple. Ooh, I like it. The purple chub. There's yeah. I don't know what it is, but what? Usually one of those two. If I got two people in the boat and we're going down the river and I, I got to start the day, you know, I usually I won't start the day that big. I'll go a little smaller earlier in the morning. But by noon, we're, we're probably, someone in the boat is on the yellow Chernobyl and someone in the boat is on the purple Chernobyl. Right. Got it. Um, let's talk about, you know, getting your fix when it comes to fly fishing. So in the winter, um, let's say, is there a coffee shop locally you go to, or is there a fly shop you frequent? Is it social media? Like where do you get your fix on fly fishing when you're not fishing? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, honestly in the winter when I need my fix, I wait for a day where we get a Chinook Mm -hmm. and I will go down to the bow and meet up with one of my buddies and, and hit the water in the winter. And I don't know, that's, for me, there's nothing like doing it. So yeah. that's, I don't know, hit, hit up one of my buddies and meet him on the river down in Calgary. And How, how long the drive is up. that for you, where you're at now? Two hours. Okay, not too bad. 
No, so pretty, pretty good. So proximity to Calgary. Let's talk sports. Are you a Flames fan? Are you? Um, I hate to say Oilers to uh, somebody that frequents <laughs> Calgary, but there's got to be. What's your favorite team? Uh, pro college. Um, long, long time Flames fan. <laughs> So that was something that me and Brendan, you know, well, I mean, he played for the Flames, but his allegiances are skewed. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is I used to be a huge Jersey <laughs> fan and, and a Canucks fan. He played for both. Yeah, he, uh, well, we, we'll talk about that because I know you got a chance to get to know him. We're talking about Brendan Morrison. I know you spent some time on the water <laughs> with him. And uh, another fellow we had on this show, Trevor Tatarchuk, and we'll talk all about that uh, in just a little bit. If you had to look back on your, your fishing journey, what's the biggest takeaway for you? Like, why do you do this, do you think? Oh, that's a, that's philosophical. I don't, <laughs> you know, I think, for me, it's just I, I like I like being social with people like like as far as guiding goes. Um, I've always liked fishing with people and and being able to do that for a living go, is, uh, go ahead, you got a call? No, that was my uh, my truck. I'm, I'm at work right now, so okay. that was my truck giving me a low fuel warning. Oh shoot um, okay is unfortunate. Um, I'm not low on fuel. It just thinks I am. Hmm. So, so yeah, for me, I think just socially, like, I guess growing up, you know, it, it's like a pastime. I, I spent a lot of time with my dad fishing yeah, and with my grandpa and with friends. And it's just, it, it it's like, it's a social activity. And it's also, you get this certain amount of solitude with it as well, where it's like, mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's oh, it's it's the perfect combination of like you know being able to visit with someone in the truck, going to the river, getting on the river, and if you're in a boat, you're visiting all day, and if you're walking, waiting, you probably don't even really talk except when you sit down to eat a sandwich or. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's just about people and 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 also sharing those experiences. Mm-hmm. What about jobs? Are you? You know, what's the best job you've ever had? It sounds, I have a feeling I might know where you're going to go with this. <laughs> oh, I, I really enjoy, you know, what my wife and I get to do at Northern Lights. And just, you know, for me, uh, initially going there, my expectation was, you know, we'll see where this goes. And, and I had kind of thought by the next season, I'd be transitioning down to, to work in the States. And then by the end of the first season, like, there's no way. I was going to leave Northern Lights. Um, it, it had just become family. I mean, yeah. working with, with a guy like Gordy and, and Skeed and Rob Gordon and Tate Patton, you know, they're all just such stand-up guys. Mm-hmm. And, and and just being able to hang out with, you know, Skeed and well, all of them, you know, and, and take in, like, like they're all old. Well, I mean, Tate's not really an old-timer yet, but he's getting there. But they're all old-timers and they're all like, I, I envy a little bit, you know, what they used to get to experience versus what we experience now, you know, mm-hmm. with fishing in general and how it's changed and in some ways good and in some ways bad. And, and just, yeah. I don't know, I, I want to soak all that up because it's it's important to me to to get to spend that time with people like that. It, it's, a, it's a blessing. I know what you mean, too, about envying kind of the, 
past of how it must have been. When we uh, moved to the Okanagan, my, my, my folks bought a house. This is 1970, I want to say 74. But they, um, with the house, there, there was a set of maps. And whoever owned the house previous was a, a, a big-time fly fisher. And he had all these lakes circled. It'd like, be like five-pounders, ten-pounders, eight-pounders. And I'm like... <laughs> I fish that lake. There's no eight pounders in there anymore. Or, you know, you'd be like, geez, that's what it used to be like. It's killing me. But, um, and, and, and you can flip the coin on that. Cause now we have a lot of waters that are managed as trophy waters and they didn't have big fish, but now they do because nobody can take a fish out of there, which is kind of cool too. But it, it's amazing, isn't it? How cyclical and how, how fishing has changed over the years. Oh, like I, I, yeah, it, it's, and and I think that's kind of what makes what we do so special is that it's, you know, we're, we're kind of even we're in the interior and when you're out fishing with us, you know, it's, it's easy to feel like you're in Alaska or, you know, somewhere really, really remote. And, and it is fairly remote. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, if you look at it on a map, you know, it, it's a hidden gem, what we get to experience and the places we get to go and yeah it, it's as as untouched as you're going to kind of get just because of the ruggedness of of the country mm-hmm. yeah and i think um when you know when you're in those places because um there's usually one or two mosquitoes uh there's usually <laughs> some pretty <laughs> darn big fish and a hell of a lot of solitude you know Hey, well, what, oh yeah, we know. So we know your best job. You're doing it. What's the worst job you've had so far that you're willing to talk oh, about? That I'm willing to talk about. <laughs> and let's not slam Man, anybody. I have, I have had a lot of jobs. When I when before I became a paramedic, I I went through the gauntlet of everything. Um, probably the worst thing I ever did. Not so much that the job was terrible, but. I tried working for a siding crew. <laughs> okay. And I just couldn't believe what those guys would do in a day, like ripping siding off walls while they're standing like 10 feet on top of scaffolding and having 30 feet worth of siding come crashing down on their head, hmm. somehow not falling off. I just <laughs> I remember watching that thinking, yeah, I'm not coming back tomorrow. This is, this yeah. is not for me. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about the lodge. I think we got a good feel for your day to day. Um, Northern Lights Lodge kind of paint us a picture of what it's like up there. I mean, I know it's quite remote. I I know you guys have a lot of waters that don't see a lot of traffic, which I believe is a huge draw for people that uh, probably listen to this show because we're all looking for open water. We're looking for a little space where you can breathe. And it sounds like you're kind of in quite the place for that. Maybe describe it for us a little bit. Yeah, so we, we're, the lodge is located right on the shore of Quinault Lake. Um, and and it's, it's an interior rainforest. So it, as you go from like Williams Lake to Quinault Lake, the topography changes. And, and it just, right on the lake, like it, it's just rugged country. Um, the lodge was built back in 1942. And has operated as a fishing lodge, I think, since like the 50s. And our program now, like, kind of, it, it's evolved since then. And, and Skeet and Sharon started operating it as a fly fishing lodge there in the late 90s. 
our, our season starts in May. We run until mid-October. And within that season, which in Canada is a very long season, um, we kind of have three seasons there, maybe more than that even. So, so in the spring, you know, which there is, you know, May and June, we're, we're fishing still waters and, and we're surrounded by, you know, some, some still water, you know, it, within driving distance of the lodge, people know about it and they fish all the time. You can back boats in. Um, and then other stuff, places we go to, you know, are kind of our little secrets and that that's where we try to focus our attention with our guests and mm. a lot of four-wheel driving to get into these lakes a lot of bushwhacking yeah. um and and that's kind of what keeps them special is just the the ruggedness of the experience which you know makes it a little bit of an adventure and and people enjoy that quite a bit once our lake season is over we so late june into early july we move over to the rivers and and the quinell drainage has just tons of incredible rivers around it mm. um then you know once again like coming from alberta the the ruggedness of of that quinell drainage is definitely a lot of the reason why it's relatively untouched you know in alberta i can go hop out on most rivers and if I want to walk eight kilometers, I can walk eight kilometers. You can't do that around in the Quinnell drainage. It's just dense. Kind the of water's so fast. Yeah. The pools are so deep. You're not crossing most of those rivers. Like if you're not hmm. very good in a jet boat or, you know, very aware of where you're going with your, your boats and oars, you get yourself in trouble real quick. Um, and, and so, so in July, we'll start fishing these rivers and we get stoneflies, uh, golden stones, yellow sallies, uh, mayflies, caddis, and just the nature of the, the rainbow trout that are mm. native and wild to that Quinnell drainage, they love dry flies. Like, I don't know what it is about them, but they, they, they're like, they're like cutthroat. They, they want to look up and you'll get a guy you know, who comes up from Montana, who really truly believes that they're going to do better if they fish subsurface on nymphs and, and they'll get out fish nine times out of 10 on dry flies. Yeah. It's just this strange aggression that these Quinnell rainbows have that makes it so special. Are these so, black water so, strain rainbows for the most part? No, like really depending what river we're in. Okay. In, within that drainage they'll change so you'll get some that have like that leopard back mm -hmm. you'll get some that are like you know yellow bellied um like bright yellow hmm. with big red bands and bright gill plates you'll get some that are completely chrome um it, it literally changes like if you go 20 kilometers up a river down a river or into the lake out of the lake it it changes and hmm. In some sections, you'll get a few different strains, but they're they're all native and wild to that system, and it's cool. so cool to see yeah. because you just like like coming from Alberta, where you know we don't really ha we have I guess we have Athabasca rainbows as like a native species, but they're not known for being big. I mean, Quinnell Lake, you'll have twenty pound rainbows. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and and in the rivers, you'll get them. Um, 
you know, anywhere. It's a wild fishery, so you'll catch rainbows that are, you know, 12 inches up to 30 inches. Maybe. Actually, the biggest one I've seen taped is 32. Wow. But that's the cool thing about genetics, right? Like, I mean, the, the genetics of rainbow trout is amazing to me. Like, you could be fishing, like you say, Quinell Lake or where I'm at, if you fish Okanagan, like some of the bigger waters. Those fish have been there since the Ice Age, you know, and they're, they're, they've adapted to feed on kokanee and bait fish. They're not necessarily chasing small insects, right? And they're night and day compared to some of the uh, smaller, you know, those beautiful rainbows with the par kind of markings on them that they never lose. That uh, It's just like a kaleidoscope of colors, isn't it? Oh, it, it's crazy. And, and like when COVID hit, and I had some time off in the summer and I came back to Rocky and, you know, I'd always fished cutthroat like to get my dry fly fix. And I came back out here and not to say that cutthroat aren't awesome, but they don't compare to a rainbow on a dry fly any day. Like it, it is just a completely different experience having a rainbow fly out of the water, you know, yeah. five times before you get them to the net. I agree. It's, it's so cool. And, and not only that, but the, I, I hate to say this, but I have to say it. Mm-hmm. Our fishing, re- it, it, it rewards bad habits. <laughs> Explain that. So, Explain that. So, so if you're, if you're like used to fishing, you know, really busy rivers in Montana or, or, you know, for me, the bow would be a good example where, you know, if you have any drag on your line, you're, you're not catching a fish or, or you're going to, you might get a fluke here and there, but mm-hmm. for the most part, if you're skating a fly or have any drag or you're not using 4X or 5X or 7X or whatever, you're not catching fish. And and where we're fishing, you know, we don't, we don't have to do that. It, uh, my first day guiding on the river, I had tied on a, uh, a Turks tarantula onto this guy's line on like 3X. Cause that's what Skeet gave me and told me, you know, start with this and then just kind of see where things go. And I kind of looked, I was like, yeah, okay, Skeet, I'll do that, you know, but I did the start and, uh, you know, get out on the river and this guy, we're at this cool little pool that we go to. And, and this guy, not a really great fisherman by any means, but you know, he knows what he's doing enough. So he'd throw it out there and I'd say, okay, make sure you mend it, mend it, you know, every guide on any river, says mend many times in a day um and i'm telling this guy to mend mend and he gets to the end of his drift and and this fly is just skating there before he casts again and rainbow whacks it and <laughs> we put this rainbow in the net and i was like okay look i know what just happened don't count on that to happen like you know you really want to concentrate on getting a drag free drift so he casts again does what i say no fish end of his drift he starts stripping it in the casket and boom, fish hits it again. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, seriously, man, like this is really just, it's really fluky. Trout don't do this. I think he had 20 fish. Not one of them took a dead drift. <laughs> and and it's it. like, you, you can't, the rules that you think apply to fly fishing. And, it, and it's a Turks tarantula. I don't know if you're familiar yep, with that pattern. 100%, but yeah. it's really dumb. I mean, it doesn't look like anything. It's big and buggy, though. It looks alive. Yeah. But, like, when you're on, on the river and you're trying to find something to compare it to, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know 
what it's supposed to be. <laughs> but you, Would you agree with this? I find that the more remote, the less pressured the water, it, it favors... Like, basically, it's easier to catch fish. There's no doubt. Because those fish, you get into, it's like you hike into an alpine lake, say, that never sees any pressure. And those fish have to be opportunistic because the meals aren't coming along as, as probably as often as they like. So you throw something big and buggy out there, you're not, you're not necessarily imitating any insect. They're just hungry. Yeah, I think to a certain extent, it has to do with, 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 with pressure. And then I think, your second point there you know wild fish they're they're not like i I always call trophy fish like you know you go to a trophy lake that's stocked i love those lakes don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong but those are gmo fish yeah right they're they're grown on corn and they're released and and they're 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 hormonally altered to grow yeah and and to to do things that natural trout don't do as far as feeding habits and whatever when you go to a lake where the fish are wild not to say that they won't get picked i think they're a lot less likely to get picky yeah when they're and and in a river you know like i think that's why cutthroat streams are so popular you know in the west is because those fish they get their runoff so so they really don't feed you know from or, or they feed very minimally from november through to ice off and then they get hit with runoff and it's like They've got maybe late June, July, August, and a little bit of September for prime feeding. That's four months. Yeah. So if they're not, if they're not opportunistic, they're they're not alive. Well, and chances are those fish have not been caught before. Oh yeah, if you're if you're seeking out those places, it yeah. just gets better and better. Yeah, and they know the thing that I always find interesting on those waters, and I think of a few kind of subalpine, alpine lakes that we have hiked into over the years. You throw anything out there, it's usually going down. But a lot of times, smaller fish, but you think they're big because they'll take you in your backing numerous times. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like one of my favorite lakes to guide is uh, a lake that Skeed found when when back when he was a logger he he was a faller so he would go out with a chainsaw and he would cut these you know massive cedar trees down like on snowshoes six feet up on the snow and he's cutting these things that just ginormous trees so anyway he he had built these skitter trails into these logging blocks and found you know the odd lake that had fish in it mm-hmm. and, and a lot of that represents what we guide today and you go in there and these fish, you know, whether they are completely native or were stocked at one point, they're wild now. And yeah, those yeah. fish, like it, like the red tom thumb, is that's a story <laughs> of a lake like that where they just, there's no rhyme or reason to why they'll eat that, but they're not passing up a lot of meals if the conditions are right for them to feed. Yeah, they're gonna feed, and even when the conditions aren't right for them to feed, a lot of the time, they're gonna feed. Yeah, well said. Hmm. So, so if we want to book a um, trip to come see you guys at Northern Lights Lodge, what's the best place to do that? Is it on your website? Is it via phone call? What's what's the go to method? So the best way to book is go on the website, and there's a booking form there, um, or or you know the phone. We're 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 not a really big lodge, which is something. 
we get complimented on quite often is you know we we really like to do things personally so Mm -hmm. you know if if you got questions and you just you know you want to know when to book or when what what time of year if you want to catch fish on dry flies or if you want to be here when we got like in the fall we get a big salmon run and we don't fish the salmon but we fish the trout that are feeding behind the salmon uh we get you know chinook salmon and sockeye salmon so depending what you're interested in like you know if you want to see grizzly bears and you want to fish with the salmon runs or if you want to dry fly fish or you want to lake fish give us a call send us an email all of that's on our website which is www.nllodge.com so northern lights lodge but nllodge.com and and yeah everything's there that you need to know we've got kind of a breakdown of our seasons and kind of what to expect with each season there's a river fishing kind of there's there's some media on there that explains our river fishing and Mm -hmm. our still waters and then yeah just email or give us a call because we we really enjoy talking to people and making sure that they get what they can get you know what they're looking for out of a trip I'd like to, um, are we, are we allowed to talk about the upcoming episode on, on West coast? Yeah. So, so that's aired and, and it's going to, it's going to be released, I believe on Amazon and YouTube as well later this season or later this fall. Um, I don't know exactly what the timeline is on, on when it'll be out, you know, public domain, but, but it has aired on check TV, I believe. And, you know. If so, you had your PVR set, you probably already seen it. <laughs> so we're talking about uh, the TV show Real West Coast with uh, Brendan Morrison. Um, I know that you got out and you spent some quality time fishing with Brendan and Trevor Tatarchuk, who we've had on the show, a phenomenal, uh, you know, stillwater kind of specialist, amazing fly tire. What was that trip like for you? Yeah, so so they they contacted us. Uh, last spring and they were looking to do some fishing in the caribou and brendan had googled us and or had googled caribou fly fishing and we popped up so so we had a chat and um they ended up coming out and we did four four or five days of fishing i can't remember and we fished three different lakes and that was a lot of fun we we fished some of our lakes that are wild uh we tried our hand at something that we don't do a lot of we went out looked for some lake trout on the fly Hmm. um and then so yeah we fished a wild trout lake or native wild i don't know if they're native but wild trout lake and then we fished uh a lake that has lake trout and then we fished a lake that was stocked with um black waters horse flies and panask that we we like to frequent so did you manage to uh steal any of uh, trevor's crony patterns (laughs) <laughs> no you know i don't think what? i even got one I, I i think i got a booby from him <laughs> which i just didn't give back there you go but uh <laughs> he, he ties a mean no, no, no. He, he, he's he's a coronamid wizard yeah i yeah. i was it was funny that when when skied when we were talking on on a like a meeting we were doing before the the episode before as we were planning this trip you know I, I was joking. I said, I don't know if Skeed even knows what a chronomid is. And, and Skeed like, yes, I do. They're like a dollar fifty each. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's not something that we, uh, 
you know, like we, we really do sell mostly dry fly fishing mm-hmm. right now. Um, coronament fishing is something, you know, in, in the caribou in our, in our snow waters, you know, if you're out there in May, it's, it's prime. And yeah. we, we absolutely do it if people are interested in doing it. And, you know, it, it, it's something you just got to experience and it's a lot of fun. And, and Trevor, 100%, that guy, he knows what he's doing with the chronomid. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Well, it, it's a different type of fishing, but I think it's 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 a visual thing, right? Because a lot of times you, you're using an indicator. But for me, that's that's the attraction of the dry fly fishing. It The fly is the indicator, you know? And uh, yeah. it, I'll take, hey, I'll take dry fly fishing over any type of fishing. I don't care what it is. It's just such a visual thing. What was it like? I noticed you guys were cast into some rings, and you got some overhead footage there. Um, that was pretty phenomenal of, of kind of picking your spot to cast to. What was that like? Yeah, so the lakes that we fish, like we get a lot of traveling sedge, and yeah, and it, it's just when they start popping, the fish start cruising the shoals, and they, I don't know if they just do laps around the lake or exactly what they do, but you can see them coming. You know, you'll you'll see a rise hundred yards down the shoal from you and then it'll be 75 50 and so so what i'll do is i'll i'll look for a caddis on the water in front of me like when it's really on mm-hmm. i'll throw my chernobyl or whatever i have on usually it's bigger than what's actually on the water <laughs> um and and I'll, I'll just throw it right beside the real thing and and you just know it's coming like i always tell people when we're when when things are on and it's good I, I, I kind of have a rule of thumb where if you see a ring, like if you miss them, if you was coming or if they just happen to be kind of feeding in a circle in your area, if you see a ring, you have about five seconds to get within two feet of it and then strip it a couple times and wait. And more often than not, you're going to get rewarded. Hmm. And, and it's so cool when it, when it comes together, like, yeah, yeah, it, it's just, I don't, I was sitting out there last year with my wife after Brendan had left. I, I took her out fishing and we're on the lake where we filmed the second episode. And I was doing a video for the Lodge's Instagram where I was releasing a fish. And as I was panning up, my wife had a fish on, you know, that was midair in the background. It's like, oh, wow. I don't think there's anywhere better in the world to dry fly fish on a lake than rate like those few weeks we get like we get about three weeks of that and it's yeah it's probably my favorite time of year like in all that we do which is saying a lot you know it's probably my favorite fishing because those fish hit so hard and and you'll be in your bat like the first fish brendan catches on that second episode you know yeah i, I told him and, and i try to explain to people like this is what's going to happen but you just don't understand it until you experience, like you're in your backing in five seconds and you don't even know what happened. Yeah. You just have to laugh and it it's crazy. It is because I think a lot of us, okay, so if you've ever been salmon fishing and hooked into something big and it just takes off like a big spring or whatever, but when you get a double digit or even a five pound rainbow that's feisty and wild, that you think you're into a 20 pound salmon. Like you, there, you, you can't, I, I defy, you cannot tell the difference. It's like, this is huge. And the blood gets going, the adrenaline gets going. And it's just like, uh, yeah. you just can't help but laugh. Yeah, no. And, and, and it's funny to me because, you know, a lot of what I've learned, you know, I haven't been guiding a long time, 
I've been fly fishing, you know, since 09 or whatever. And a lot of what I've learned at Northern Lights is like, like we would just break all the rules. And it, it's, it took me a long time to get over that because you go out to these lakes where like I'm from out the first time I ever went out to the, to this lake where we, where we filmed that second episode, I was with Skeed and Gordy and I'm from Alberta, you know, fishing lakes when I couldn't fish a river. And for me, my go-to would be like a balanced leech, you know, 10 feet under an indicator or whatever, and Mm -hmm. kind of slowly work my way around. Um, never even knew I was allowed to fish two rods when I started there. <laughs> so, so I would do that and I, I would go finally to catch up to ski and I'd be like, Oh, how are you making out? And he's like, Oh yeah, I've got like 20 fish and I have like three and I've lost two of them. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, you get, you, you get these habits where you're like, this is my go-to, this is how it has to go. And then oh, I'll get this fish on a leech and then I'm going to pump it and I'll figure out what they're doing. And we overthink so much about fly fishing and with, with real West coast there that day, one of the funny things that I was telling Brendan on our way out to that lake was I said, I don't know why, like what I'm about to tell you, I, I can't explain it because I don't know why they do it. I've even asked the biologist, I, I was like, I don't know why this happens, but if we get rained on like really, really hard, like I'm talking like you want to go to the truck hard put your rod in the rod holder and just start rowing your pontoon around <laughs> trolling that fly as fast as you can. Like it doesn't even matter where you go. You could go out to the middle of the lake, you can go to the shoals, wherever you want to go, follow the shore. But no matter what, if it starts raining to the point where you're like, I don't want to be in this boat anymore. Yeah. Put your rod in the holder and start rowing. So, so anyway, this happens. It starts, starts raining and I'm looking over at Brendan and I'm looking at Trevor and I'm envious of Trevor because he's in his fancy Marlin <laughs> and I'm like, Oh man, if I had a Minn Kota right now, I would just be smashing fish. So anyway, they're not doing it because why would you? So, so I throw my, I had a balanced leech on one rod and a Chernobyl ant on the other. I throw these rods in the rod holder and I just start rowing as fast as I can. And I didn't go 15 seconds <laughs> and that balanced leech, I never expected the balanced leech to actually do it. But, trout hit the balance leech like grab that rod and i am flippering trying to keep pressure on while i'm grabbing it and my other rod i see this huge explosion and my chernobyl is gone <laughs> so i have two fish like literally we're talking like they couldn't even film it it was raining so hard i'm holding two rods in one hand and both are over 20 inch rainbows and i'm reeling on both of them and somehow i got them both in the net it did not look pretty that's awesome and and then I'm explaining to the camera what I did and I started doing it again. And within 30 seconds, I did it twice in 15 minutes. Oh man. And, and it's like, you just can't. So then the rain was kind of over and they missed it. But <laughs> <laughs> the only way I learned that is when I was guiding, I was like, Oh crap, we're getting rained on pretty hard. I better go start the truck and get yeah. people warm. And then I'd be, you know, I wouldn't even reel in cause you just want to get to shore and you don't, you, all of a sudden you're catching fish. You're like, oh, I don't even want to fish right now. Or maybe I do. And then. <laughs> I love it. Well, if you want to relive that, go over to Real West Coast on YouTube, look them up, <laughs> or uh, look for the show when it airs in your neck of the woods. But yeah, no, I, uh, that, that was something else. It's funny that you said that, though, because I will tell you there's two or three lakes that I frequent 
that I do that very thing. And and for me, what always works is a big tom thumb on a dry line. Just start rowing. Just turn on the Minkoto. And sure enough, I don't know if it's just the movement or the wake that it creates like a caddis does. <laughs> it can be super windy and you do that and you're into fish. Yep. And it's yeah. no and, one will ever tell you, oh yeah, just put throw out a dry fly and just start trolling. It's not... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's not, not in a, the Orvis Guide to Fly Fishing. I love it. That's quotable. It's not, but it works depending <laughs> on where you are. And and at the end of the day, it is kind of a fun thing to do. I've had it happen many, many times. And uh, that tells me we're fishing very similar waters. Uh, yeah, like you just can't explain it. And, yeah. yeah. And that's okay sometimes, I guess. Exactly. I'd yeah. like to be able to explain it sometimes. But, you know, if you're a good guy, you can make up stories as to oh, why, absolutely. why it happens. Oh man, that's good stuff. I, I want you to make up your story. So this is this. I always like to ask somebody uh, that's on the show to explain your dream day, and maybe you just did. I don't know. Maybe it's pouring rain and you, you're rowing like crazy, catching monsters on dries. But paint us a picture, Curtis. What does your perfect day look like? Who are you with? What are you drinking? Paint us a picture. Oh, I I really like going out to that lake with Skeet and Gordy. Um, and just hunting the shoals. So, so like when, when that caddis hatch, you know, I, I spend a lot of time out there around the time where I kind of expect the caddis now that I know what's going on. And all my favorite way to catch fish there is there's some shoals that are like one or two feet deep, like just really shallow with like these floating marsh kind of cut banks. So I'll go and you'll see the, the wake of these fish cruising in there sipping, you know, either damsels or, or these caddis. And I love if I can get that fly right beside the shore and just kind of twitch it and keep working the rate, either right in the reeds or right on the shore and just getting those, because when they hit it shallow, it's just an explosion. <laughs> and for me, fly fishing doesn't get any better than when you hook a fish on a dry fly and you get, you know, you know, mid twenties rainbow on a dry in a foot of water. And they, you know, they're go, you know, they're going out for that deep water or straight under the cut bank. Yeah. And there's a, I like hooking fish in places where it's going to be a good story if I can land them. Mm -hmm. So, so I find myself kind of, if I'm out there on my own, I, I spend a lot of time casting into the nasty stuff because it, it's more exciting when it happens there, I guess. <laughs> well, when and, they can run, like when you're, like you say, when you're in a foot, two feet of water, they have to, there's only two places to go and that's straight out or straight up. And they usually do a bit of both. So, so last year we had, I was out on the lake where we filmed the first episode with Real West Coast and that lake, it's a wild lake and if someone wants to keep some fish or whatever on that lake, you know, not a big deal. There's, there's so many fish in there. It's not a bad thing for the fishery to take some out. So, so I was, I hate admitting that I bonk fish sometimes, but I was bonking a couple fish that day and, and it was kind of tough fishing, but there were fish flying out of the water everywhere. And when I had first, I think I commented on one of your, your posts there last week where you had tied this really wicked looking blue damsel. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so these fish, you know, on, on this lake, you know, you're, you're in that 12 to 16 inch range all day. Like it, it's just, 
and they fight out of their weight class. Like there's no yeah. question when those fish are on, they're on. So, so I'm out there and, you know, usually my, just a Turks tarantula, you're into fish all day. But this day I was working a little harder than I usually have to for them, but they're everywhere. They're just flying out of the water. So finally I, I hook one and I try to pump it. Nothing comes out. And I was like, there's no way this fish isn't eating. Like it's peak food time. So, so anyway, I, I bonk it and I, I cut it open and it is literally full. Like, like I had a fistful of damselflies. Wow. Like, like adults? And, and even some big dragons too. Are we talking adults? Like the blue? Adults. Like, like wow. these fish are coming out of the water and they're eating them out of the air. Wow. And, and it's, it's like, you can't miss, like, I mean, you can't actually physically see it with your eye. At least I have the greatest vision, so I can't, but but like they're coming three feet of the water all over the place and, and, mm-hmm. and this is what they're doing. They're eating these damsels. So I, I ended up like making this collection. I had a water bottle full of like half chewed damsels I had taken out of my limited trout that day. <laughs> and so now I've been I've been devising for this season. I'm like, I'm gonna go back out there, but I gotta figure out a way to suspend a damsel fly, <laughs> like the one that you tied. So I'm trying to decide if I could get like a clip. <laughs> to hang off of a reed so uh, that it'll dangle that's funny and i can i'm gonna do it and when i do it we're gonna have to talk about it oh yeah i'll tell but, you what i don't know i'm thinking like a pool noodle pool noodle tripod that i can suspend it like i'm gonna break rules well let's but, be, be careful with that now there we we we, we, <laughs> we got we got to follow the rules on this one but so here's the thing. When we hang up from this call or when we're done chatting, <laughs> give me your address because I want to send you some of those damsels and I want I, I want to see the fish they catch because I've seen it once in my life. Them, and I know I've seen videos of them taking adult damsels. I don't think it's a crazy common occurrence, but it does happen when you get those, you know, those kind of blizzard damsel hatches or I find on some of the trophy waters I frequent, I see it a lot. Like they just can't, you know, a big trout can't resist. That's a big meal. It is. And, and I mean, I've seen them as they're hatching. I'll see the, excuse me, I'll see the, like, Skeet, his favorite thing to do is he'll sit right in the reeds at, at this one lake and he'll, he, he just sits there and watches the reeds until they start moving because the trout will move in to knock those nymphs off the mm. reeds yeah. and feed on them. And it, it's so cool. That Even, is cool. It, and, and, and not only that, but on the, the rivers where, like, trout, Trout are pretty smart. I mean, they're not as smart as we think they are, but mm. they're, in some ways, they're smarter. I got to. We'll, we'll, I got to tell we'll you. See, sorry, oh, no, no, you go. You're on a. You're on a roll. Keep going. Sorry. We'll we'll see rainbows on on some of the rivers. You know, when the sockeye are in, where they'll like nudge into the sockeye. Oh, I was you. You read my to mind. Pop eggs out of them. I was just gonna tell you the same thing. <laughs> um, so crazy. You never know <laughs> how yeah. aggressive a rainbow will get long as they don't start hitting your boat to knock you in and eat, you'll be good but i've I, well I, last year oh uh-oh. Sorry, i keep interrupting no man it's all good you go so so last year we we're on this river in the fall and it's peak salmon season and we're having a great day the, my guest or client or you know this guy he'd, he'd made seven casts and caught eight rainbows how is that on eggs how is that possible <clears throat> when you're in the right place so so anyway, he's got seven fish and eight casts. Wow. And on the eighth cast where he's putting this fish in, this big bull trout comes up and grabs this rainbow trout. 
And it wasn't a huge rainbow, probably like a 12-inch rainbow, maybe four. Uh, it wasn't huge. Mm-hmm. Nothing to write home about, but a good fish. So this bull trout grabs it, which, you know, you see bull trout grab cutties and stuff in the mountains all the time. It's not super uncommon, but we almost get it in the net. Let's go at the last second, and we see where he goes right on this shoal or, like, little gravel bar. So he says to me, he says, I want to catch, I want to catch a bull trout. I was like, okay, you realize you've caught seven fish and eight casts on eggs. <laughs> you want to change that? Yes. I was like, okay, as long as you're sure you know, <laughs> that you want to do this, we can do it. Whatever, it's your day. Whatever you want to do, we're going to do it. So, oh, so we tie on a lunch money and uh, try to get this bull trout to eat. He will not touch it. So we go down to the bottom of this, where this run, it kind of drops into this hole. And uh, we hook up this bull trout. 25 inches you know nothing crazy but but a good bull trout you know he was really happy and it it was a good fish gave him a good fight another one started chasing it and it it was exciting so we get this fish in the net and then rob gordon being the senior guide kind of comes in and steals my thunder and starts working with this guy and i i go up to this guy's brother who's now in the hole where we had seven out of eight fish or seven casts on eight or seven fish on eight casts and so I'm kind of bummed out because like, oh, I was excited about bull trout, but okay, let's go get this guy some rainbows. So I give him this fly that we were using and he's hooking up rainbows. And on his third cast, I don't know, the wind caught his, his indicator or something. Anyway, he gets this big ball, just a big mess. And, you know, so, so I grab his line and I kind of start pulling it in to retie it for him. And he has, do you know what an airlock indicator is? Like yep. the, the yep. newer foam ones? Yep. So he's got this big foam airlock indicator on and, and his egg pattern and his leader, like a one X leader, like we fish pretty heavy is all wrapped up around this, this airlock. And I'm just pulling it in and reaching over to grab it. When that bull trout came up, just about took my hand. He grabbed this airlock indicator (laughs) and just takes off and I'm holding the line. I'm like, Holy crap. I've got this bull trout. So I'm, I'm, I'm hollering at the client, like, Hey, get your rod. You're, we're going to get this thing. Cause his, cause his egg was wrapped around it. So I was like, he's probably hooked. Wow. You know, he ate the indicator, but he's probably hooked. So anyway, he got off, but there were bite marks out of this indicator <laughs> from this bull. Like, I, I wish I would have taken a picture. There was literally a chunk out of it from this bull truck. It was so cool. He probably thought it was an egg. Yeah. Oh, like so. I started thinking about Chernobyl. I was like, I think I'm gonna tie like a Chernobyl egg. Okay. You, I gotta ask you this because this happens to me all the time, and it drives me nuts. I'll be chronomet fishing with the indicator, and the damn fish boils on my indie. Uh, it's like a floating blob, I guess. Well, or or okay. Here's my other theory. These fish are often pellet raised in a hatchery, released. It's just a little round thing that's floating. Why wouldn't I try and hit that? Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why blobs work. Maybe they think they're corn. I think I think there's something to that. But uh, that's just a theory. And let's try and uh, overthink everything. That's what we do. <laughs> I, I often thought if I put a hook on my indie, it might work. But who knows? Yeah, you, you never know. Like, no. The craziest things can happen. And, you, yeah, it's... It, 
it's it's just fun to try to repeat them. It's funny that you 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 were talking about those trout hitting the reeds. Okay, so we've all seen it probably on still water. The damsels are they need somewhere to hatch usually, and they're climbing up the reeds and you actually witness fish hitting them to knock them in the water. I've seen them do that with caddis on a lily pad, knock the lily, like the stem of the lily. I've seen them um, exactly what you're talking about. I actually haven't seen this, but I had a friend of mine that that witnessed it firsthand on the Adams river, which is a huge um, salmon uh, river run where I'm at. And, and basically they were torpedoing the spawning sockeye. They would hit them in the belly. They'd release eggs, and bam, they had a meal. I'm like, these fish are not as stupid as we think. No, no. They're, I mean, when it comes to food, they, they will figure it out. Well, anytime you can uh, get outsmarted by something, you know, with a brain the size of a pea, you got to feel pretty good about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about fishing, man. It just reminds us that uh, we're part of it. Figure it out. And that's why we keep yeah. coming back, man. Hey, thanks so much for doing this this interview. Uh, Curtis, I really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, I know. It was, it was a pleasure to do it. And we'll uh, very much appreciate you having us on. Hopefully we'll get out on the still or on the moving water one of these days. Uh, we've been chatting today uh, with Curtis Royer. Now, Curtis is uh, with Northern Lights Lodge. Uh, They're out of Likely, B.C. Um, Just a beautiful, beautiful looking place. Um, If you're looking for some quiet getaway time and uh, maybe some some large rainbows on the fly, I think that would be an amazing trip. Look them up online, Northern Lights Lodge. And and the website again was um, www. Go ahead. www.nllodge.com. And then on Instagram, it's at Northern Lights Lodge BC. Beauty. All right. Well, I wish you a, a great rest of the uh, late winter, early spring. And uh, I know you guys are going to have an amazing season coming up. And if you haven't uh, already, uh, you can check out the lodge uh, and, and the type of fishing it has to offer. Just uh, look up uh, Real West Coast, uh, the fishing show. It's on YouTube. You can look it up or look for it on uh, your outdoor TV kind of shows, wherever you happen to be. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.